We thank you for listening to the weekly sermon of First United Methodist Church, Missouri City, Texas. We're a church that's making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. For more information about the church and its ministries or how we can pray for you, visit us on the web at fumcmc.org. If you desire to make a quick contribution in support of our ministries, you can text to give. Simply text the amount you want to give to 281-369-4870 and follow the instructions. And now, as you listen, we hope that you find this podcast meaningful and transformational in your journey of faith. So, Christmas Eve... 1968, those of you who are old enough, where were you? I'm serious. Where were you? Christmas Eve, 1968. If you were like most Americans, you were glued to your TV, waiting for the broadcast, because that was the day the Apollo 8 was going to make history. They were going to be the first manned spaceship to live out Pink Floyd's words. They were going to go to the... Oh, come on. It's Pink Floyd. For goodness sakes. The dark side of the moon. I worked on that line. And so, millions of Americans were there listening to these three astronauts And the astronauts knew they had to do something dramatic. I mean, here it is. Christmas Eve, making history, orbiting around the moon. Amazing. And they also knew what was going on in the country. And for those of you who were alive, for those of you who had history, you know 1968 was not a banner year for the United States of America. It was a country that was highly divided. It was polarized, unlike anything this country has seen since the Civil War. There were the protests over the Vietnam War. There were the issues of segregation and racism. There was the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. and of Bobby Kennedy. It was an ugly time in our country. And Jim Lovell, Frank Borman, and William Anders decided they may be able to offer a simple word. And so they thought about what they would say, what they would do, how they would mark that occasion. And they really didn't know what to do. And then uh, Lovell is working at it at home about three or four days before launch. And his wife comes in and says, what are you doing? And he tells her and she says, oh, that's easy just do this. And they listened. And so on Christmas Eve, if you were glued to your TV, 1968, you heard Frank Borman begin by saying, and for all the people back on earth, the crew of Apollo 8 have a message that we would like to send you. And this was what they read. In the beginning... God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form, void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. 
And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament and the waters which were above, and it was so. And God called those above heaven in the evening and the morning, a second day. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And of the gathering together waters, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And so by reading 10 simple verses out of the King James Version of the Genesis story for just a brief moment. The divisions, the barriers that divided the country seemed to disappear because those three astronauts orbiting the moon reminded Americans of God's dream for creation from the very beginning, that it would be a creation, an earth without lines, without barriers, without walls, where the creation would be one of peace. Or as Leah did, peace. Of all the theologians and church fathers that I've studied in all my years, there is not one who gets that understanding of God's vision of creation better than St. Francis of Assisi. St. Francis of Assisi summed up what he said, what he believed in a, uh, as he formed this, this, this priesthood these monks with one mission. He said, brothers, we've been called to heal wounds, to unite what has fallen apart, and to bring home those who have lost their way. Years later, someone would write a prayer. And the prayer was attributed to the to St. Francis. Not that he wrote it, because this prayer was written probably around 1915. But he might not have written the prayer, but he lived the prayer. And that prayer began with these simple words, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Now, it wasn't anything new. I mean, what, 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 what the prayer said, what Francis preached, what Francis believed, wasn't anything earth-shattering, brand-new, radical thought. He simply was taking what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount and putting it into this beautiful prayer. That's all it is. When, when Francis would say, Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace, 
Jesus said it this way, blessed are the peacemakers, for you shall be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are you, peacemakers. Now, when Jesus said that, what did he mean? I mean, what, what would that look like? You know, when I first heard it, I thought, oh my gosh, does that mean I have to walk and demonstrate and march? Is that, is that what it means? Do I have to demonstrate for world peace? Do I have to go against this and go against that? And that's not what Jesus meant. If you don't march, it's okay. If you don't demonstrate, it's okay. And Jesus didn't mean that you had to shout it from the rooftops. Not everyone has that ability. See, when Jesus said, blessed are you, peacemakers, you shall be called children of God. He was just saying and telling us how we should live with one another in community. In your family, in your home, in your workplace, in your school, in your church, in the community, in the country, in the world. And the word he used for peacemakers is a rare word in Greek. In fact, if you look at the original word, you won't find it anywhere else in all of Scripture. One place, right there. And the root of the word is the Hebrew and Greek word that Leah talked about when she used the word shalom. And if you have been here for any length of time since I've been here, you know that shalom is the central being, the central tenet of my entire theology. Shalom is how God intended creation to be when he uttered those first words, let there be light. Shalom. So you also know there's no English word to translate shalom. We translate it peace, and that's part of it, but that doesn't take in the totality of what that word means. When you say that word to a Hebrew, it has further meaning than peace. Shalom implies and encompasses a certain uh, uh, wholeness, a a, a certain um, completeness. And for a Hebrew, when they hear the word shalom, they know they're not just offering peace to you. It's something that isn't passive. It is always active. And when you use the word shalom, wholeness, completeness, peacemaker, you are implying, you are saying that you are actively, actively trying to bring wholeness to that which is broken trying to fix and reconcile relationships that have fallen apart, trying to make things and situations whole again. I heard a preacher one time, and I tried to find it this week, and so I can't reference exactly who it was, so I'm just going to steal it. I heard a preacher one time um, say that there are two types of people in the world. There are those people who are thermometers, And those people who are thermostats, which one are you? See, the difference is simple if you think about it. A thermometer is reactive. Like right now, the thermometer in here is probably at 80 degrees, maybe 90, maybe 100. 
That was a hint. Whoever can control the air to turn it down. And if that person controlled the air and turned it down, the thermometer would do what? It would drop. It reacts to the temperature that's already in the room. But a thermostat, if there's someone here who can go play with the thermostat and cool the wall, the wall, the room down, the thermostat doesn't react to the temperature. The thermostat does what? Sets the temperature. The thermostat is not reactive, it's proactive. So it walks into a room and the temperature changes. The climate changes. The spirit changes. And you and I know people who are thermostats. You know people who are good thermostats and people who are broken thermostats. You know people when they walk into a room, life is just there, right? And then you know people who I like to call vampires. They walk into the room and they suck the life right out of the room and they walk in and it is negative nanny, Johnny Raincloud, nothing is right, and you can feel the spirit break. And if you're a peacemaker, you are a life giver. You are someone who sets the temperature so that when you walk into a room, people breathe life because you bring wholeness. When we think of the word peace, most of us say, well, that's an absence of evil. It's an absence of war. It's not what the first century mind would have thought. For the first century mind, peace was the presence of good, the presence of mercy, and the presence of grace. So if you're a peacemaker, you are a presence of good, of grace, of mercy. You want to know what that looks like? It's not easy. I mean, it's not just standing up and holding hands and singing, let there be peace on earth. It's not gathering around a campfire and singing kumbaya. It's not a bunch of hugs and a bunch of handshakes. It's, you want to know what a peacemaker is? Listen, listen to what Jesus says. And I'm not making this one up. This is from him. He says this, You have heard it said to those ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say, You fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. So when you're offering your gift at the altar... If you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift before the altar. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, then come and offer your gift. Then he goes on to say, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist an evildoer, but if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. If anyone wants to sue you, and take your coat, give your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who bugs, begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies. And pray for those who 
persecute you. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? What does it look like to be an instrument of God's peace? It means reconciling with one another when a relationship is broken. It means responding to a request by going that second mile. It means turning the other cheek. It means, and this is the hard one, when faced with violence and abuse, to be the one who offers grace. If you want to know what a peacemaker is, let's look at Jesus. Look at every aspect of his life. Turn the other cheek. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Faces abuse with grace. Praise for his enemies. Love those who persecute him. And he says to you, blessed are you because you are peacemakers, because you are children of mine. That's how how Jesus said it. Francis said it something like this. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is dying that we are born to eternal life. 1968, crew of Apollo 8, for just a brief moment, opened a Bible, read 10 verses out of the King James Version, and for that moment, the barriers, division, just seemed to melt away. In case you don't know it, we live in a country that is divided. We live in a country that is polarized. And when you try to have a discussion with someone on the other side of the aisle, left or right or center, it doesn't matter. The civility and the love just seem to go out of the room. Just seems to disappear and the walls and the barriers are built and no one listens to one another because why because we spend so much time looking at the external qualities of each other we judge people by the way they look the way they are the way they dress where they live and how they live their life and we judge and we we base our things on what we are called to do is look in the very soul of one another because there we'll see that in creation, God gave each of us the imago Deo, the image of God, and it resides in us. And when we see that in the other, no longer can we have hate and anger and venom. But we have peace. 
It's happening in our country, and it's happening in the church. The church that I love, the church that I've given my life for. If you read the, the news stories and the blogs and the posts and the sermons, there is no one is listening to anyone anymore. It's this or that, right, wrong, you're going there, you're going there. And all I want someone to do at a conference, not to yell anymore, not to scream, not to name names, to simply be recognized and go to the microphone and say, blessed are the peacemakers. For you are children of God. Lord, make us an instrument of thy peace. And then maybe we'll hear one another. And maybe we'll love one another. I don't think reading Genesis is going to cut it today. But maybe if we committed to pray this prayer, to live this prayer, and to make this prayer our very desire, maybe then we can, well, maybe we can first change ourselves, and then change our home, then our church, then our community, our school, our workplace. And who knows, maybe we'll start a, a revolution. I don't know. So I thought the way we have to end this thing today is we just stand. So I'm inviting you to stand. And we're going to um, pray the prayer attributed to St. Francis. And I, I happen to think it'd be pretty cool if we hold hands when we say the prayer, but that's just me. You know how I am. And then right after the prayer, LaHonda is going to lead us. And now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, give you peace both now and forever. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit go from this place. And may the peace and the love and the grace of God go with you. And may you know, may you remember, may you never forget that there is nothing you can do. Nothing that will ever make God love you less. Because when God sees us, he doesn't see the mistakes that we make. He simply says, wow, you're nothing but the best of the best of the best. And can you imagine for just a moment what your day might be like if you lived it believing that? I think you'd have a good day.